0: I spent a lot of time the last couple of weeks here um, writing and thinking and reading and studying and and changing. This is probably the fifteenth iteration of this message. Sometimes our thinking can go in a particular direction, and it's not wrong, but it's not what God had in mind. And he'll guide us and I think what I'm going to say today about Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, uh, I think the Lord wants you to think about what he was doing. Have you ever felt totally unprepared? You're in the midst of some situation and you just really feel inadequate. Yep. What's going to happen next? When you're in that position, do you ever feel like saying, yes, this is going to be awesome? Yeah. We just get overwhelmed with feeling like, I don't think I can do this. You know I like to begin a message by trying to understand the circumstances and the setting or likely possible scene that was happening. I think that we have here in Mark 6 is at least an uncomfortable, if not terrifying, situation for the 12 disciples. Those 12 disciples who were little to their understanding Preparing to be the Twelve Apostles. Uh Uh-oh. Come on, computer work. There we go. I do have a paper copy. I have a plan B. (laughs) In case this goes down on me. Okay, before we get started, I'd like to make a request and issue a disclaimer this morning. I appreciate the fact that you've dressed and traveled and are sacrificing some of your time to be together this morning. Please decide to make the most of it. Hopefully you've already enjoyed some fellowship and we've worshipped God instead of just singing songs about God. And now, together we'll think about some things that Jesus said and that he did. I keep using the word together because it's such a defining characteristic of the church. As the church, we get together regularly and we celebrate the author and finisher of our faith. It's good every week. He's the king who made us all one with him. And as we look into God's word this morning, my hope is that you'll listen carefully with discernment and search For at least one thought that the Lord maybe wants you to deal with. Or one truth that he wants you to work with this week. Nobody needs to be here to listen to me. What you need to hear is what the word is saying to you. So here's the disclaimer. This message will not affect each of you the same way. No message ever does. We each bring prior understandings on our own personality and our current personal situations and other filters that we unconsciously sift a Sunday morning message through. To whatever degree possible, please let the word of God and his Holy Spirit be your only filters This morning. At a minimum, ask the Lord to teach you something that you need. Maybe you need it for today. Maybe you can be thankful for one thing that you heard this morning because you know that the Lord is rich in the way he blesses his people. Will you pray with me quickly? Father God, thank you for giving us eternal life and for making us disciples of your son, Lord Jesus. Father, please apply your word to each and every heart as you see fit. And we will be careful to be thankful, Lord. So... Uh, Normally, people who are speaking don't like to tell everything at the beginning because then everybody stops listening. But I'm going to take that risk. So here are some main points we'll be looking at today. Jesus is, in Mark chapter 6, for the first time, sending forth workers into his harvest. It's his harvest. He doesn't need them to go out or he does not send them out alone, they're going out in twos. So it appeared. In reality, they were going out in threes because the Spirit of God went with them. All right. Now, we don't have a PowerPoint for you today. I'm hoping that you did bring a Bible and that you'd open up your scripture to Mark chapter 6, in verse 7, if you're not there already. All right. And he called the twelve and began to send them out by two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, But to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons, and anointed with oil many who were sick, and they were healed. Now, this passage does not stand alone. Uh, You can read in Matthew, and in Luke, I think it's Matthew chapter 10, in Luke 10, uh, the same account. There's some different details, but it's the same account. Understanding what was happening here was important enough for God to make sure that it was in three of the four Gospels. One of the realizations that a person should take away from from reading these seven verses is this. The work of the kingdom must be done in complete reliance on the king. The work of the kingdom must be done in complete reliance on the king. In this, the first disciple-led evangelism event, we see Jesus intentionally forcing the disciples into dependence. But not dependence on their own authority or strength, Jesus was still in charge of where to go, what to do when they got there, how they would interact with the locals, how they should react to opposition, etc. But he gave authority and power to them to react to their individual situations and accomplish their mission. Verse 7 again. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Since we know what happened later, they didn't know at the time. We have the whole New Testament to refer to. We can see that by sending them out this way, he was also preparing them for the future that only he knew about. Jesus knew that soon his founding objectives would be accomplished and his mission would take a drastic turn in strategy. Not in tragedy, but in God's strategy. He would step away. His spirit would step up. And his followers would become his church. He'd refer to us as his body on earth, and his beloved bride in waiting. We've been waiting a long time. We may not be waiting much longer. I think his disciples had very little idea of what I'll call the realm of the repentant representatives. They didn't know what this was all going to be about. They didn't know that they were taking the first wobbly steps into representing Jesus to a hostile and unbelieving world. I really think that they didn't know that they were about to learn how to be the apostles. Christ would send them out into all the world to invite people into repentance and eternal life. They didn't know that yet. They didn't know what terms that would happen under. Jesus was still bringing that about. It would come just a bit later. And in this moment, they didn't know what was going to happen on their brief tour of the towns and villages he sent them to. They did know what they were supposed to do. They didn't know how people would react. Would they find open hearts? Would they find ears to hear? Would they give sight to the blind boy? Or heal the sickness tormenting a young girl? Jesus knew, and he wasn't even physically there with them. Would they spend the night sleeping rough in a barn? Because they had no money, and no one would offer them hospitality. Or would people listen to the amazing teaching about the kingdom of heaven? Or would the people be offended because it sounded like a new idea that wasn't part of their tradition? There was so much they didn't know, but Jesus did. This morning, we have this in common with the 12. We don't know what's going to happen when the Lord leads us to do something outside of our comfort zone. They didn't. We don't. We don't know about tomorrow. Is it a bad thing? That we don't know? No, it's not a bad thing. Not knowing what's going to happen next is not a bad thing because we can trust Jesus. We don't have to worry that he's leading us into some terrible thing. So, why do you think Jesus sent them out to do the work of the ministry? Why not just continue doing it himself? He was really good at it. Hmm. At a minimum, it was so that after his resurrection, Jesus could send them out to do the work of the ministry. He was getting them ready to function apart from his physical presence. Well, they were so glad that he was there and that he chose them and that they got to work in whatever it was he was bringing about. They thought it was going to be a new kingdom. They were right, but it was a different kind of kingdom. Remember, God sent John the baptizer to prepare the way for Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, in turn, sent the disciples out to tell the good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God on earth. That was different. It was actually news at the time. And still is, if you've never heard it. It's the news that anyone, even everyone, could put their faith in Jesus be forgiven and accepted, and life could be reset for an eternity with God. And now 2,000 years later, it's still his church who is being sent out or led to stay local and do the same thing, tell and teach about the need to repent and enter into the service of the king. We're not just waiting. This isn't God's waiting room. He's got work for us. He wants us to be active. So if you're thinking that this passage, Mark 6, 7 through 13, is actually related to us, you're right. You're correct. There is an unbroken line of redemption from the 12... Right down through all the ages, all the way to us, right here in Battle Creek. Let's see what else we can learn about what we should be doing and how we should be doing it. Verse 7 tells us that he began sending them out two by two. That means we should be going, doing the work of the kingdom in pairs. You should be shaking your heads. To this, we have to say, nay. This is not like Jesus saying to Nicodemus that you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. That was a direct statement without alternatives. Like so much of Scripture, though, we need to look for the principle being taught, not necessarily the specific words to use or action to take. The idea here is that Jesus does not typically send out lone rangers. Although at sometimes, in some places, Jesus has used individuals to get something done. But not usually. We don't all have the same giftings. And most often a pair or a group of people is better suited to a situation. The rest of verse 7 tells us of the more important aspect of being sent out. They were given the authority of Jesus over the unclean spirits in the areas where they would minister. This is no small detail. This is big. Remember that they had seen Jesus deal with unclean spirits and they saw him heal sickness and heal lifelong infirmities right in front of them Whole crowds of people saw the miracles with their own eyes. Then the disciples saw Jesus command the wind and the water, and they began to understand that he was no ordinary human being. Now he's giving these same guys temporary authority to do what he did. They knew the laws of nature well. He wanted them to experience the laws of the kingdom of heaven. They didn't know that so well. He wanted them to begin to accept their roles in his kingdom of light. The king is actually king over both heaven and earth, in both the physical and spiritual realm. At authority. People question whether, how, what, where did you get the authority to do these miracles? Well, let's see. In John 17, 1 and 2, we're told that the Father or Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. When did he say that? Just before going to the cross. He nailed to the cross a Roman victory over an insignificant man. Now, He still had every bit of the authority that God gave him. And he stayed there. It's astounding. You know, we sing songs like he could have called 10,000 angels. And it was true. Let's look at Mark 2.10. We've already discussed this verse earlier in this series. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. It's it's hard to think that he gives us authority to do his work even now. 1 Peter 3.22, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Angels, authorities, and powers subjected to him. Sometimes we need to ask ourselves, are we subjected to him? The good news for us in this is that when we learn to follow the Lord's leading, we can be assured that Jesus gives us his authority to accomplish the work he's asking us to do. We can get to work with confidence knowing that he will accomplish his work through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you afraid to speak up sometimes? I think we all are. He's the one telling us to do. And He's the one who brings the fruit. What can we learn today from verse 8? Oh, we're only two verses into the whole little passage. He charged them to take nothing for the journey. What's up with that? It's like he was thinking, I want, to make these, I want to make this really hard on you guys. You need to suffer while you work for me. But of course, that's not it. The possibility is inconsistent, or that possibility is inconsistent with the Jesus that we know and love. It must be that his instructions cause the disciples to work in a way that it is consistent with how he was doing the work. He caused the disciples to work in a way that was consistent with how he was doing the work, the work his father gave him to do. He worked among us in humility we're already beginning to celebrate again the most astounding act of humility in all of human and divine history. It's a humility that is so deep we don't even fully comprehend it. And he wants us to do the work he gives us to do in that same humility. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Excuse me. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The Son of God taking on himself humanness. I think we can all testify to the fact that Being human isn't all wonderfully great. We have our problems, don't we? We have our weaknesses and our limitations. (laughs) And Jesus said, okay. I love them so much, Father, I will do what you ask. I will put on humanity. Really amazing. Probably the scene didn't look like that, but we know that Mary was in awe because she knew where he came from. The Son of God taking on himself humanness, the creator, becoming part of his creation. Humble, vulnerable, but obedient. Truly amazing. Now he's asking the same thing of his disciples. Humble yourselves. Let yourself be in need with no way to provide for yourself and obediently do what I've asked of you. Preach repentance. Proclaim that the king of heaven has come to earth. I think I've done that before, haven't I? I need to find a new place to put that. Hmm. Preach repentance and proclaim that the kingdom of heaven has come to earth. Having humility is not the same as being humiliated. Jesus was not asking them to humiliate themselves. We can kind of think of the difference like this. Humility is the action of a humble person. And it comes from within. Whereas being humiliated comes from the condemnation of others. When you've been reborn and you belong to Jesus, can anyone really humiliate you? Not really. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives within you, right? Praise God. Hmm. Being humble is a reaction, I think, to rightly seeing yourself and God. Being humble is a reaction to rightly seeing yourself and God. And the reaction is, oh, I am not you. I'm your creation. You're a creation of God, made in the image of God, but you're not God. And you'll never be God. God. When you hear the things that are floating around our culture about how you can be God too. All you have to do is get your mind in the right place. No, you're never going to be God. He has exclusive domain. I think Jesus wanted them, the disciples, to be recognized as humble people As they brought up the idea that each individual person needed to repent, we need to be humble as we help people understand that their own sin is separating them from God and they need to repent and be forgiven. It's not, hey, you got an opportunity here to be like me. People want to see humbleness in those who are speaking the truth. So there they were, walking into towns and villages. They may have never been in those places, but they're going there, and they're doing what Jesus said to do. Well, how about that, they may have thought. We obey Jesus and our needs get met. Huh? We have no money yet here we are staying in this nice couple's nice house. Praise God. In another place they may have said to each other, nobody's given us the time of day here. No one's listening to what we're saying. In fact, this is getting kind of ugly this must be what Jesus was talking about. I guess it's time to go. What was it he said about shaking the dust off our feet? A testimony against them. It was a final nonverbal accusation that they have rejected repentance and they've rejected participating in the kingdom of God. It must have been so amazing to them that even though they were without their rabbi and even though they didn't have the close support of their bigger group, this authority that Jesus had given them was changing people's lives. Demons were obeying them, and the sick were being healed. They weren't working in their chosen professions, they weren't using skills honed by years of practice. And they were just rookie evangelists. They didn't have any money and they were utterly without resources. But in here, life had never been so good. If I were them, I would have been thinking, we got to keep following Jesus because this is awesome. People's lives were being changed. People were coming into the kingdom. Yes, life can be awesome in here, even when everything around us is difficult. Even when we don't know what's going to happen next. Life can be awesome because we know we're following the Lord. and We know what's coming. As he was sending them out, Jesus did a kind of full disclosure thing by letting them know about the downside. They were still on earth, after all, and the earth was and still is the home of the kingdom of spiritual darkness. It just is. We have to look at Matthew's Gospel in chapter 10 for this additional detail. It reads this way. Verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Huh? That's not good. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Don't be dumb, but don't be a threat either. Scripture tells us that Satan roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Innocent doves. Have little chance of surviving the lion, right? Unless you're doing exactly what Jesus told you to do, and then don't worry about the lion. Be aware of the spiritual dynamics of situations we find ourselves in. We need to do that. Don't look at everything through just physical eyes. Ask the Lord to help you understand the spiritual nature of the circumstances we find ourselves in. And when you realize what's really going on, immediately go to prayer. Because when you do that, that is the kingdom entering in to new places. God's Holy Spirit, when we're doing the Master's work, is what guides us and empowers us and brings the fruit. Pray without ceasing as part of doing the Master's work. Let me say that again. Praying without ceasing as part of doing the Master's work. Has following Jesus been awesome for you? I felt it was important to say the next few things. I'm a little worried that somebody here this morning might think I'm picking on them. I'm, I'm not. Uh, but it's good for the church to think about these things. Has following Jesus been awesome for you? If not, it may be that your normal, predictable life has been too ordinary to be awesome. Think about this for a second. It's possible that you have spent most of your life so far praying for everything to be normal and safe. It's possible to just kind of live there. That's what I want out of God. It's possible that God has graciously given you only what you've been asking for. It's also possible that you haven't actually trusted him completely with his plan for his agenda, which is, of course, the advance of the kingdom on earth, bringing people to salvation. We love the Lord, and so we don't want to say no to him. True. I mean, we hardly ever just say no. However, we often don't mind putting him off, saying things in our heart like, yes, yes, Lord, but not yet. I'm not ready for that, Lord. Maybe later, after I've, whatever it is you want to do. And then, uh, Lord, it's possible that you've let him have control over the stuff you don't really care that much about while withholding from him the parts of you that you want to control. Praying your requests and then ending your sentences with the word Lord doesn't necessarily prove you're letting him actually be Lord in your life. If you know Jesus you may want to consider letting him remind you of the terms of your deal. Remember? you get forgiveness and adoption into his family. You get the counsel of his Holy Spirit and eternal life for your soul. He gets your undivided attention and your obedience to his word. It may be that at this point, he'd like you to trust him more. even completely. It may be that he's been waiting for you. He's been wanting to use you in the advance of his kingdom in a way that you never thought of, but it's been part of his plan for you all along. He's waiting. It could be that just a few submissive tweaks in your heart It could be the breakthrough that you've been yearning for. Not just him wanting you. That deep place in yourself where you've wanted to serve the Lord well and completely. He loves you. He brought you into his kingdom for a reason. Isn't an eternity of God's good pleasure toward you worth any risk? Wow. A million years from now and God still looks at you and you know he's saying, I remember. Well done, good and faithful servant. Is there anything on earth that can be better than that? Not in eternity, and not even now. If you've never known Jesus as anyone more than a historical oddity, an anomaly of sorts, a good teacher, but an outlier for sure. If you've never known him as anything but that, You're missing so, so much. I have to say it again. He created you. That spark of light that happened at the moment of your conception was him creating you. You were part of the work, the workmanship. Not just you, all of us, that workmanship of the Lord of life. Oh, if we only appreciated how significant that was. He's literally worshipped by some and absolutely reviled by others. You may have wondered, who's right? You may have wondered that for a long time. It's also possible that you may be that person here today who somehow knows in your spirit that he is who he says he is. Are you finally ready to walk out of the past that has only led you to dead end after dead end? Jesus really is what he said he is the way, the truth life. I'm going to give you this brief description and then we'll end for today. This is a description of what the Bible my goodness, there's a lot of words in here. But we can legitimately think of it as distilled down to these few thoughts. God's word. To us, I made everything. Everything you can see, and the things you can't see. I made the human family. Humanity rejected me, sin separated humanity from me, but not forever. I accepted sacrifices to cover sin, but there was always more sin which required more sacrifices. I sent my son to be the final sacrifice and become the bridge to me. Everyone who repents and trusts my son Jesus is forgiven. I love you. And I want you to be with me. Trust and obey my son, and he will bring you safely to your forever home with me. Eternal life with me is worth any cost. Now, of course, all of these statements deserve more explanation. But it's here. But this is the gist of what the Bible has been telling us for more than 2,000 years now. If you'd like to live in forgiveness today and have, securely have the promise of eternal life, please come down here and talk to me after the service. You can have this today. I'll leave you with this, which is one of God's clearest statements about his desire for you. It's found in the Gospel of John in chapter 3 and verse 16. If you want to, those of you who know this, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We love that verse. It's one of the first verses a lot of people learn. And it should be loved because he loves us.